Hey, good morning, everybody. Before we get started today, I just want to take a moment. Um, We have a a brass quartet who's in the house who did a fantastic job, a choir who knocked it out of the park. And I'm wondering if Mark Cutler is back into the room yet. I don't see him. Mark Cutler faithfully, consistently now, for 25 years, has led that choir to incredible heights of ministry. And so when we talk about excellence, I can say this with him not being in the room, or if he walks in, I'd be totally comfortable doing that as well. When we talk about excellence, we talk about giving our very best to glorify the Lord. And that's what Mark Cutler has done. I want to make sure that you guys are aware next week, between these two services, 9 and 1030, at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall, we're going to be honoring Mark as he uh, steps into a brand new season in his life called retirement. And uh, of course, we know that uh, we never really retire from serving the Lord. We never retire from ministering on his behalf. But we want to make sure that we draw special recognition to Mark Cutler for all the ministry that he's done throughout the years. And so um, I want to encourage you guys to be there next week. It, It really only takes a moment to stop in, give him a hug, give him a handshake, you know, give him a squeeze. I was going to say give him a holy kiss, but some people are a little awkward with that, you know. So, um, I mean, Scripture talks about it, but I haven't figured out how that works yet. So, um, but to stop in and honor him. Scripture says give honor where honors due. And so that might look like bringing a gift for him, some kind of memento of just saying thank you for all that you've done for us here at South Suburban. And so um, when you see him today, um, Tell them well done. Next week, we're going to love on them some more. So I wanted to make sure that we hit that before we talk uh, about this week. We are in week two of this series on the family called Welcome to Our Mess. You guys, you're just, you can be honest with me and you can say that your family sometimes looks like a mess. All right, I hear some chuckling, but I don't see enough hands up of people who are just being honest. Hey, let's talk about family pictures because... We've all seen them, and we have all gone through the drama of taking them. I believe you can accurately classify family pictures into two different categories. There are the posed pictures, and then there's reality. Now, poses, that's when you try to get everybody's hair looking right, everybody's buttons done, and everybody looking at the camera and smiling at the same time. That's a pose. And then there are the ones that capture the life and the reality of your family. And those are the pictures that I've begun to truly cherish over the years. And um, I'll show you, first of all, this couple of weeks ago, uh, a picture we took of uh, Mother's Day. And this took us about 12 tries. But then this next picture is the reality. That's my family. That's really who my family is. We've got another one to show as well. This. This is my family, right? And this is what's great about it. I think these pictures, they represent the heart of God and what he has in, in his mind when he looks at us. And that is that he, is, he, he says, yes, sometimes you are a crazy mess, but I love you and I accept you just as you are. Now, how many of you guys, you would say that you're so grateful for that in your life, that God loves you right in the middle of your mess? That's part of what we're talking about. Hey, guess what? It's the Lord reminding me of something. 
It's funny, first time in 12 years of having an iPhone that I've ever had it go off while I'm preaching. Um, but I also have a 13-year-old daughter who has access to my phone now, so I'll have to talk to her. <laughs> Speaking of family, God loves us in the middle of our mess. He loves us just as we are. And today we're going to step right into the middle of that mess, and uh, the, the mess that we've all come to know affectionately as family. And family's become a really broad term these days because you have the family that you're raised with, and then you have friends who have become like family to you, and then you have this family that you may be married into, and you've developed family at work and at school and at church. And so family has become a very broad term today, but I want to talk very specifically about your family, that is your home, the people that you live with. You might call them your immediate family or your nuclear family. I think the phrase nuclear family is somewhat symbolic because if not cared for, it can be toxic and explosive. But if cared for properly, it can be very strong and powerful. And that's God's vision for family. One thing's for sure, for sure, family is very unique. You think about this, that everyone in your family has the same DNA, and yet they're very different personalities. Uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I really contemplated buying this set of t-shirts that we saw. Um, they were talking about firstborn, secondborn, and thirdborn children. So see if this resonates with you personally, wherever you're at in that order, because it cycles after three, it goes back to one. If you're a fourth kid, it's like you're number one on this list. Um, see if it resonates with you personally or maybe your kids as you, you think about them. First t-shirt, it said, I'm the firstborn. I make the rules. How many of you firstborn kids, you would vouch for that? Okay. You guys are loud and proud, right? That's right. I make the rules. Secondborn t-shirt said, I'm the reason for the rules. Second-born kids, in the, yeah, said amen. Third-born t-shirt said, I'm the third-born. The rules do not apply to me. <laughs> we know that uh, our families are very different looking. Again, same DNA, but radically different personalities. You know, your, your spouse, as my wife and I were driving today, I said, babe, you need to set the cruise. She drives oftentimes on Sunday mornings as I'm looking over my notes. And I say, you got to set the cruise because she, man, she likes to drive and she likes to drive fast. Can I get some amens in this room? She said, you need to set the cruise too when you're driving because you're always going under the speed limit. Right? So, so we recognize just again on the way here, I'm like, man, like we're, there's so many things within our family that are just very different. We're at the polar opposite extremes of things, and yet somehow God takes that group of ragtag people and molds them together into a family unit, and he does it for a reason. He does it for a reason, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, just the fact that uh, we, we want to look at what healthy family looks like, because there's this divine pattern for how the family is to function. And, and when we talk about it, we're not looking for tricks or gimmicks or, or um, you know, what they call today hacks, like shortcuts to this. We're looking for God's truth that can become a part of our life when we live out. Because whatever we're going to do in terms of our family life, in order for it to work, 
it has to flow out of God's plan for families. So today I want to look at a few passages of Scripture from the book of Ephesians. It lays out some healthy attributes for your family, and we're just going to jump into these today. The first one's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We're going to look at that in just a moment. This attribute is it's very foundational in every relationship, but especially in the family. It's essential for relationships to be sustained over the long haul. And in a word, it's grace. If the family is to flourish, there must be grace that's extended. My wife and I were at home. This has been a few years ago. My son uh, and one of his friends was, was playing in the other room, and, and uh, it was on a weekend, and I walked into the room, and I mean, they are like going to town. They're throwing stuff. They're having fun, hooting and hollering, got a mess, and, and I look at these two kids, and I say, you guys, knock it off. You're acting like a bunch of five-year-olds. And my wife, who's just always right there, she goes, babe, they are literally five years old. <laughs> you need to extend some grace. <laughs> they are five years old. Um, we need to be able to extend grace in our family. I want you to read here with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ has forgiven you. You can't have healthy relationships without compassion and forgiveness. It doesn't work. There's not a person on earth that you won't have to have amazing grace with in order to stay in relationship with. And why is that? Well, it's because we're all imperfect. Every one of us. You're going to need grace, and people are going to need grace to get along with you. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. How many of you guys, you know um, that you've messed up? <laughs> you, you know numerous times you've messed up, and God has been faithful to extend grace to you every time. That's the position that we find ourselves in. The Lord has compassion on us, and he forgives us. He releases us from our past mistakes. You guys know, um, you've heard probably of Patrick Henry, and his, his primary contribution to history books is the phrase, give me liberty or give me death. But there's another statement that's attributed to him that you'll find often quoted. He said, I know of no other way of judging the future but by the past. Now, if you state that phrase in an audience, you'll see a lot of heads nod in agreement because it has the sound of good common sense but it's a lousy foundation for relationships. And it certainly doesn't reflect the way that God relates to us. So the book of Jeremiah, um, he, he writes, the Lord's compassion never ends. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. See, God doesn't judge us on our future. He doesn't judge our future by our past. He doesn't judge us based on the mistakes that we've made. But here's our struggle. See if this resonates with you, okay? We often struggle extending the very same grace to others that we're so eager to receive ourselves. We make mistakes, and we, in our hearts we're going, oh, I'm, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. 
I need, I need grace. Come on, just have some grace with me. But when other people make mistakes, especially in the context of our family, we're too quick. We're too quick to, to make judgments rather than extending grace. You see, I, I recognize that my wife and my kids, they're going to mess up. And if I hold it against them, then my family is not going to be able to thrive the way that God actually planned for them to. I'm holding it back by not extending grace. My family has blown it. Your family has blown it. But the most powerful thing that you can do in those moments is to be able to step up and just say something like, I know that you messed up, but there is nothing that you could ever do that would make me love you less. And I'm not going to hold this against you. Now, does that mean that you, uh, you don't um, discipline your children or you don't correct? No, that's not it. But grace is needed even in the middle of discipline. Even in the middle of correction. In fact, it's needed most right there. Grace is foundational here. It's something that none of us have earned. But all of us have needed it's a gift that's been extended to us from God, and it's something that he wants to extend through us to our family. That's a key point. What God wants to accomplish in your family, he oftentimes wants to accomplish through you. He wants to extend grace through you to your family. The second attribute that God is looking for in our family life is that of submission. And that is one of the most difficult words for us to um, not just speak, but to actually live out. Submitting to one another. Paul goes on to write in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, that we're to submit ourselves to one another out of reverence. For Christ, And I want to take a moment right now and just talk about this principle of mutual submission. What does that look like? Paul says that we're to subject ourselves or be subject to one another. And he isn't talking about wives being subject to their husbands here. He isn't talking about children being subject to their parents right here. He's actually talking about everybody. Regardless of where you're at in that family relationship, it could be that you're the husband or the wife or the parent or the child or maybe possibly even a grandparent, but this is foundational in healthy families. The Greek word that's used here is hupatasso. Crazy word, isn't it? Hupatasso. And it means to rank under. It's actually a military term. To rank under. So mutual submission is that, when we, is that we are called to place ourselves underneath each other. And when this is done truly, it makes for very meaningful relationships. We're called to place ourselves under each other. And this principle is actually dominant throughout Scripture. It's not just a one-time drop right here that Paul does. Scripture is filled with this concept of what does submission look like. And it expresses the, these ideas of humility and meekness within our hearts. And these, these are so basic to Christian character. Submission. What does submission look like in your family? Have you submitted yourself one to another? Let's talk about that in applicable terms today. It means basically that you are able to leverage what you have, your power, your assets, your time, 
your passions to benefit those whom you love so dearly. That means their desires, their needs, their life become more important than your own. And so you yield your life, you set your life aside for them. You're submitting one to another. It's the opposite of selfishness. It's selflessness. It's, it's sacrifice for those that you love. You're submitting one to another. And I'm not saying there's not an authority line in the family. Scripture talks about that later on, of how Christ is the head of the church, that the, the, the husband is, is the head of the home, basically. And there's a submission that happens there. But this concept is talking about this mutual submission that would say something like this, although I may be your leader and your protector and your provider, your longings and your heart desires and your needs compel me more than my own. That's what submission looks like. Oftentimes when I'm doing premarital counseling, I'll talk to the couple and, and, and I'll say, you know, up to this point, up to the point of the altar, your dating and your courting has been all about you looking to fulfill your needs. And is this person going to fulfill me? But once you say, I do, everything flips around. And now, from that moment on, it's about, can I fulfill this person's needs? Because their life, their desires, their needs become more important than your own because you're to submit yourself to that. Now listen, everybody who is in church these days would shake their head and they would agree and they would say, oh, amen, brother, that's right, that's good preaching, that's what the Bible says. And then when we go home, we have a really hard time living this out, don't we? This is tough. This is rubber meets the road kind of stuff. When you recognize that God has called you to submit to your family, it doesn't mean that you give them their way all the time. Now, that's a good thing. We're talking about kids. Come on, let's be honest. It doesn't mean you give them their way all the time, but it's the fact that you say their needs, not their wants all the time, but their needs have become more important than my own. I'm yielding my life for them. I'm submitting myself. That's what Paul is talking about here. The same way that Jesus submitted himself on our behalf. He yielded his life for our sake. Philippians 2 tells us this. And Scripture says that he was equal with God, and yet he was submitted to God. And then it says that he was over man, and yet he submitted to man and the needs of man. He stooped to meet man at the deepest point of his needs. Jesus yielded his life for us. He yielded his life for us. So he's calling us in this family unit, he's calling us to submit one to another. The final attribute is closely connected to submission, and it's equally important in the vitality of the family here. If marriages and families are to fulfill their divine purpose, it becomes a matter of commitment. Now, that seems like a, a, a very basic term again, but we're going to talk about this, like where does this really meet the road here? Because apart from our unselfish devotion to God and our unselfish devotion to each other, this whole family thriving thing isn't going to happen. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, he says, For this reason, 
a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. I want to talk about this for a moment. It doesn't mean that this, this husband, that this man, um, changes the way that he feels about his parents. It means that he is making a stronger commitment now to something else. I love my parents dearly, but when I met my wife and I said I do, I was making a stronger commitment to her than to my parents. And Scripture says that that a man must leave. He shall leave. He should leave his father and mother. Does that mean that he doesn't communicate to them anymore? No, that's not what it's talking about. It doesn't mean that literally you never see them again. This is a commitment thing that it's talking about. You are no longer cleaving to that relationship. Now you are committing to this one. This is a commitment clause that Paul is talking about here. And you know, as you read this passage, I think that today I see a lot of spouses who leave their parents for each other, but they won't leave other things. And that's where, again, the rubber hits the road for us. We'll say this commitment to my, my spouse is more important than this commitment to my parents, but is the commitment to my spouse more important than the commitment to my career, to all my hobbies that I've had my whole life, to all my buddies that I grew up with, to my shopping, to my all these things? Here's, here's the challenge. A lot of times... We try to say yes to our spouse, but we try to bring something else into it. And we try to say, like, well, this is just who I am. You know that I've always fished on Saturdays. You know that I've always shopped on Sunday afternoons. I know that you've always done that, but now things have changed. And are you willing to leave those things and become one? Because here's what happens today. There's a lot of people who start their marriage out fragmented from the very beginning because they're not willing to leave other things behind and become one. It's not a total commitment. It's, I will say yes if I can still fish, if I can still hang out with my buddies on Friday night, if I can still go on these weekend trips, if I can still do this, if I can still do this. This passage that Paul is talking about is not just a leave your parents, it's a new commitment. It's a stronger commitment. Are you committed? From the very beginning, this is the question that I ask people who are engaged. Before you ever get to the altar, you had better have answered this question. Because when when we do weddings... And I say, do you take this woman to be your bride? It's not a time for you to go, let me think about that. (laughs) You had better have already made that decision in your heart. Are you willing to commit to this family, to this relationship? That's what Paul is talking about here. Listen, Paul loved his his family. He's not saying to, to, to get rid of them. I mean, that's a good thing is as for parents whose, whose kids are growing up and getting married, they don't want to feel like, like I'm nothing to them anymore. No, it's that there's a new commitment 
that God is calling them to. And we have to be okay with that because, listen, you made it to your spouse. It's actually a healthy thing. It's this new commitment that God is calling us to. And so are we willing to, to leave behind some of those other things in order to make this strong commitment? Does marriage take work? Yes. Does raising kids take work? Yes. Is it always easy? Oh, no. No, it's not always easy. There's not a magic trick. There's not a formula. There's no gimmicks. It's not a question of how many times did we do this or how many times did we do that or who's in charge. It's simply a question. It has to start in your heart. Am I committed to this? Am I committed to this? As you look around society today, you see the current mindset is self-centeredness. A culture that says, I'll stay with you as long as you give me what I want, and then when you don't give me what I want anymore, I'm moving on. When it takes tough work, when things get difficult in your family, in your marriage, don't quit. That's countercultural today. It's, it's sad. It's also counterbiblical. <laughs> you, you can't quit. So there's this commitment. It's from the very beginning. Am I all in or not? Meaningful marriages and thriving families, they're only possible when you have a total commitment. They're only possible when grace is extended on a regular basis. They're only possible when there's mutual submission that happens in the family. And if you operate on these three attributes that Scripture talks about, and Paul puts in this little passage here from Ephesians, uh, the end of chapter 4 to, to kind of the, the beginning of chapter 6, if you will operate in these, it will produce the most fulfillment and joy that you will ever find. It's important to realize that God's plan for your family isn't to make it look like it belongs on the cover of a magazine. He loves your messy family. He loves it just like it is. His goal is to not try and make sure that the hair is done right and people are smiling on cue and that your kids are, are polite and articulate. Uh, polite, maybe that, I think that's a God thing. Um, that's not his plan. His plan is actually to magnify himself in this world through your family. So your family is actually um, what Scripture calls transcendent. It means it's a part of something bigger than itself. It's a training ground and kind of a ramping up place that God has given us where we get to learn his love, where we get to experience his grace, where we get to embrace selflessness, and we get to embody faithfulness. That's what family is about. It's not just for you to procreate. It's not just to continue this cycle of life. Family is about God being able to display his glory in this world through you. That's why scripture calls it this picture of this relationship that God has with us. It's a picture. It's a beautiful picture. And so as we, as we close this morning, this grace, this submission, 
this commitment that God is talking about, that he's designed for your family, we have to acknowledge this, that all of these things are a reflection of the relationship that God has offered to you and to me. So God offers grace to you. He offers forgiveness of sin on a regular basis. And he's looking for that to be extended through you to your family. Jesus submitted himself to the point of death for our sake. And he's looking for you to be able to submit yourself to your family. And he's asking us to make this commitment. When we, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that relationships in this world are less important to us. It means that you've found something that's greater to commit to. And that's what I want to give you an opportunity for this morning. Before we leave, if you're here today and you, you've, you've never made that commitment to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's, it's really a great summary of what we just talked about over the last 20 minutes or so here. That you have found a person, a relationship that makes everything else pale in comparison you still love those people, but this is a greater commitment. It's a more fulfilling thing as well. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity for that this morning. Once again, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. It's very simple. It's very short, but it's very significant. So with heads bowed and eyes closed in the room today, if you're here today, this is just a, a decision between you and the Lord if you're here today and you want to make that commitment to Jesus, I encourage you and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can say, Lord, thank you for your unconditional love, your unconditional grace in my life, and today I receive that. I say thank you for it and I receive it. Thank you for submitting yourself to die on a cross so that I could live. And today, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I ask you to give me a brand new start today, and I invite you, Lord, to become the Lord of my life as I make this commitment to you now. I ask that you would give me the strength to follow you from this day forward. Amen. Amen. Listen, that prayer, short prayer, significant prayer, a commitment. And here we want to be able to just celebrate with you. And so I'm going to ask you to do something today. Before you leave, if you prayed that prayer, maybe it was the first time ever, maybe it was the first time in a long time, and you've made a recommitment to the Lord, I want to invite you to just take this uh, um, connection card that's in your bulletin, and on the back side there's a box that says yes. It's very simple, but again, it's very significant. Here's what we want to be able to do. As your church family, we want to be able to pray for you. We want to be able to support you. We want to be able to encourage you. And we don't know any, other, any better way to do that than for you to let us know this commitment that you've made so we can come alongside you. So if you would take that card and check that box, in a few moments, we're going to um, celebrate communion together. We're also going to receive an offering. And when that offering plate goes by, you could drop the card in there. Or better yet, this is what I encourage you to do. At the end of our service, we're going to have prayer teams who are going to be up front to pray for any needs within the congregation today. And when we, when we do that at the end of our service, I want to encourage you to take that card up to one of our prayer teams 
and to give it to them personally so that they can pray for you right then and that we can come alongside you as a church family. That's what, that's what family is about. Seeing God glorified in us and through us. And so we, we want to be your, your church family. And we want to celebrate with you today. As we get ready to close today, and we're going to transition into a, a time of celebrating communion together, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning. I can tell you this, God believes in your family. He believes in your family. Listen, you may have lost faith in your family, but God hasn't. He believes in your family, and he has a plan for your family that involves you. He wants to accomplish these things through you to to impact your family. There's a commitment that's necessary from you It requires this grace-filled humility and submission and a commitment that says, I'm all in. I'm all in. God honors that, and I can tell you he honors that because it honors him. We're going to pray as we close this morning. I ask you to bow your heads one more time. Father, thank you again as we are able to just dive into your word together this morning. Lord, and just take a look at your picture of the family. And God, there's not a person in this room that would say that their family looks perfect or belongs on the cover of a magazine, but God, it's so refreshing to know that that's not your heart anyway. Your heart is not how we look on the outside, it's it's what's going on on the inside. And Lord, we stand here today, we sit here today, we've come here today making this commitment to you now. Lord, would you do these things through us, use us to to be a vessel of grace to our families. Help us to do that, Lord, especially in those very difficult, trying moments that we would always extend grace. Lord, help us, God, to to be mutually submitted to one another, that that everyone else's, that, that our family's needs and desires and longings become more important than our very own, that we would yield our life for those who we love so dearly. And God, that we would be completely committed, not fragmented, but we would be all in. And we ask that you would bless these families. God, I ask, I pray that you would bless the families, the marriages and the families here at South Suburban, that you would use them to bring honor and glory to your name. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen.